Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to a special edition of Speak with the Devils, our official Devils podcast, joined as always by Amanda Stein. Good to see you. Good to speak with you once again, Amanda. Good to see you too, Maddie. We speak so much, but I feel so far from you every time. It's on the computer screen. I know. It's across the border too. At some point, uh, we'll be in the same room and be able to uh, chit chat with one another. But this has been a terrific addition, of course, to our content. And the name has changed recently, but the the material is fantastic. And we are very pleased today to welcome the uh, newly named official. As he said himself, uh, the interim tag was taken off, ripped off. Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager of the New Jersey Devils, joins us. And uh, Fitzy, again, congratulations. And thanks for giving us some time to us today. Oh, Maddie, thank you, and I appreciated the uh, the email. It meant a lot to me that you sent. Uh, same with you, Amanda, with your text messages. It, it does mean a lot. All the people who reached out to me and congratulated me, it it really does mean a lot. It's um, it's it's something that uh, I I won't say I I've been working towards for my whole life. It's just this path happened. Um, quite quite frankly, thanks to Ray Shiro. Um, and it just took on a life of its own and just became something that was a passion of mine and something that I wanted to continue to, to strive for. Uh, you know, building is, is a special thing and building winners is, is my goal. So um, it's a lot different than coaching. And I chose this, uh, you know, when I was in the development side of it early on, they told me you're going to hit a path. You're going to coach, you're going to a management path. And I kind of did both. Won the cup and then just said, no, I'm going down this way. Going back the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to get back to winning that cup in 2009 because there are a couple of great stories about that. But uh, as you embark in your new role, it's not really new in that you had taken over uh, when Ray was dismissed and and you ran it as the GM. That was one of the things you told everybody. No, I'm the GM. I'm doing everything a GM is supposed to do. Whatever the adjective in front of the title is at this point. I'm the head coach. So as you went through those six months or so, what did you learn about being in the chair that you didn't know before? I learned that the assistant general manager's job is the greatest job in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you You know what? There are a lot of aspects of managing. It isn't just about managing your hockey team. It's about transparency. It's about communication. With, with your ownership group, your senior leadership group, your team. Um, and I think the pandemic, the silver lining of this whole situation was it, it, gave, it gave our organization time to, to kind of regroup, but it gave me an opportunity to continue to learn the, the business side of it and the communication side of it, uh, led by Scott O'Neill and Hugh Weber with, with their meetings and, and then how, you know, how communication you know, really works. Um, so that part has been been wonderful, you know, setting up weekly calls with my team um, and, and just communicating what, what's been going on through the NHL or what's going on with the organization. Um, and I think people uh, really appreciate that because they, they want to feel like family. And then if you're, you're giving them information that is family oriented, then, then they feel like they're, they're part of something special. Fitzy, what was that moment like when you're being told that, you know, you're taking over? We've talked about it when it happened, um, when you took over that interim role. Did you, this might sound weird, but did you feel ready in a sense or was it overwhelming? Back in January? Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, back in January. oh yeah, that, that was, that to me was a, a whirlwind Um you you walk into an office and there's multiple people there and it's quiet and then you you get the news and are asked to uh, think about taking on this responsibility and you know it just it just took the wind out of me to be quite yeah. frank you know your friend just lost his job your mentor um, and you're sitting here thinking I'm thinking not only about my myself, my family, but I'm thinking about everybody else in the organization, how they are feeling and how, you know, where does it go from here in, in, in continuity? I, I believe in, I, I believe it's, it's so important. Um, and I think, you know, by me accepting this and taking this challenge, one, to, to, you know, learn the ropes and two, to, to hopefully, you know, give people within our organization um, a sense of certainty uh, for the time being, and and they can breathe and relax, knowing that somebody they know is in charge, and and that all went through my head. Um, so I, I I 
I sense a sense, I felt a sense of loyalty to everybody in the organization to take this on and learn it and do as best I can. Um, and I've said it over and over again, it, it, it takes a village to raise a family. Um, and, and the village has really helped lift me up to, to this position. So let's go back to the beginning. As I learned before we recorded this and stumbling over the pronunciation of your hometown, <laughs> you leave out a vowel, it's just Billerica, uh, Massachusetts. Did I get, did I get it close? You got it right. You, All right, there we go. There is an E excellent. in there. There is an E, but it's Billerica. Okay. Uh, so how does someone go from Billerica, which is just outside Boston, so it's a hockey hotbed, but uh, how does one go from there, hopes and dreams, and make it to the point you did, not just as a GM, but prior to that, a guy who played a thousand games in the league, was a captain, uh, went to a Stanley Cup final with the Florida Panthers. How did it all start? Well, I think it starts with, you know, my dad uh, being a passionate Boston Bruins fan, family season ticket holder when he was younger or shared season tickets. And, um, you know, that was the Bobby Orr era. You know, Bobby Orr was, was on the scene there uh, in my childhood. And, um, but you know what? I was a I was an all-around athlete. I You just did it. You played every sport. I played soccer, baseball, football, basketball, uh, hockey. You would be – but you did it all within one community. You know, you did it all in your town back then, so it was manageable um, for a parent, or you just you carpooled. But, um, you know, athletics was a big thing back in Dolrica. Uh, we've got some great athletes that have come out of it, many, many pro hockey players, including myself, uh, a few good, pretty good baseball players, one Tom Glavin, um, the DeSarcina family, you know, so we've We've always been, we pride ourselves on being good athletes there in, in, in a you know, relatively small town. Um, but, you know, sports was a, a big thing. I actually wanted to play center field for the Red Sox, but I wasn't, uh, it turned out, I, I gave up baseball for hockey, but I was never really that, that good. Um, never once dreamt about playing for the Bruins. You just, that was just a, a thing you did. And, and if you made it to the Garden once or twice a year, that was a luxury. Um, I, I actually, you know, growing up in, in the town of Bilberka, it's a, like I said, it's a great sports town. And every Friday night there was high school hockey and every Friday night, that was where you socialized and you went and you ran around the rink and you, you idolized those high school hockey players. And I said this in my 18th year of playing pro hockey, when they asked me, it must be a dream come true. I said, no, a dream, dream of mine was to play high school hockey at, at Bilberka high school. But my parents decided to send me to the Catholic school instead, so I never got to never got to do that. Um, because you, know, you had grown there, up with all those kids, as you said, right? Uh, so you were going to continue that association right through high school. Yeah, and that's the thing about you know playing for a town. You you grow up with the same group of kids from mites to midgets, and I was lucky. I'd say there was ten of us from my town, and and the high school team at that point was really good too, but ten of us left and went to this Catholic school called Austin prep and we won a state championship together. But so I got to play with the same kids right from mites to, to high school. And one of my best friends in it came to Providence with me on a, on a, uh, that's where he played. Um, so those days are, are, are done. Like it's, uh, it's, it sucks to be honest with you. I, I feel bad, but, uh, those are great. And then from there I went on Providence call, got drafted out of high school, out of Austin prep in the first round by the Islanders. And, uh, plan was to go to Pro Providence College. Lou Lamorello was my athletic director there. And, um, it was a big, the reason why I decided Pro Providence, because at the time, and Lou was a big driving force behind this, a lot of pros went to Providence. They were, they were spitting out the most pro hockey players uh, at that time. Um, and even guys like Bobby Carpenter and Brian Lott and Tom Barrasso, who never made it to college, were all committed to Providence College. So it was a good fun fact for you. Um, and that, that was something that I, I really was intrigued with. Um, gentlemen, one of our players on our team, um, young 18-year-old kid that we all know, um, his dad was the guy taking me around on my, my recruiting trip to Providence and, and really nailed, put the nail in the coffin for me to go there. J.B. Hughes, what a, a, just a, good, a good teammate, a good friend. Um, I, you know, I spent two years there at Providence and decided it was time to turn pro. I was ready for that challenge, and I was lucky to come into a great organization like the Islanders at the time. Plus, it was an opportunity because they were in a rebuild, and I, I got to I got to play. You know, I wasn't 
spoon fed. I, I played, you know, I played close to 1,100 games in the NHL and I played close to over 150 games in the American Hockey League. Um, so I, I put in my time, but it was, it was, it was great for my development. Five years in New York and then got taken the expansion draft, Florida, spent five years there. And, um, and then the Jersey, uh, uh, rotation started coming there. <laughs> <laughs> Trade, traded to Colorado, signed with Nashville, became their first captain, traded to Chicago, signed in Toronto, and then finished off in Boston. So like I said, I got, I've got plenty of nice uh, jerseys to, to show off. <laughs> And that was like the cliff notes of Fitzy's life. I think we just got it from, go. from being a kid okay. to right now. Is the show over? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, what else? Is, no, there's plenty of other to talk about. But you, you mentioned, like, growing up in, I mean, you know, a sizable town, but also considered kind of a smaller town. Like, how did that experience shape you for your future, you know, even, like, looking up to high school hockey players as opposed to potentially NHL guys? How did that like fundamentally shape who you are? Well, it all starts with your parents. You know, my parents came from a uh, from the city, a small section of the city called Charlestown. Um, another area that uh, produced some pretty good hockey players, and that's where I started my youth hockey. And at that time, they just they felt the the city was in uh, that time of the world wasn't great to to be around the city. So my parents uh, moved my brother and I up to the suburbs. Um, but it all starts with your parents, you know, keeping you, keeping you grounded, keeping you humble, keeping you, you know, family oriented, family first. Uh, um, my dad, I, I was telling somebody the other day um, that, you know, even when I turned pro, my dad would always say in a very positive way, like, even though you are a pro hockey player now, don't ever forget where you came from. You know, right. because that matters. Um, that matters. And I always, I've always, you know, leaned on that a lot. You treat people the way you like to be treated. Um, so the foundation st- obviously starts with every parent. Um, but in particular, my parents were, they encouraged me to play other sports. It wasn't hockey, you know, 365. It was, you know, the, the love of finding a baseball glove on, on opening day. And then the first time you, that smell of the, the, the hockey rink early September, you know, it, it just, it was a special time. So those are things I remember as a kid, those special moments in sports, but you know what? Education was a big thing. My parents, like, and I told you, like I going to Barricka high school would have been probably as yeah. good, if not better for hockey, but education was a big thing. So they sent me to the Catholic school and, Hey, everything turns out for the best, uh, for, for the reason that we all, uh, we meant, we hoped it to be. And my parents, uh, they just wanted the best for, for, for me and my two other brothers. And so you missed out, though, on a chance to play with Tom Glavin. You would have been on a line with Tommy Glavin, who was drafted by the L.A. Kings, by the way. He's a Hall of Famer, of course, but in baseball. How good would that duo have been with uh, just put somebody else of some talent uh, on that line too. <laughs> I don't know how, how good was good Tommy. How, how he, good was Tommy? He, he was a fantastic hockey player. Um, uh, they, they say he would have been a better hockey player than baseball player. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of lefties, a lot of hockey players that shoot left. There weren't many baseball players that threw left. So uh, I think he picked the right sport, but, but true story, like going into my high school year, um, the head high school coach told my dad that I would be playing right wing with Tom Glavin um, on that first line. And I, I was so excited. And then again, like a, a, hot, a hot air balloon, a full balloon, boom, they popped that bubble and, and it just, it was miserable. <laughs> like I was so mad. I hated freshman year of high school. I hated my parents. I was like, <laughs> I wanted to be a Florida guy to play with Tom Glavin. So, but like I said, it all worked out for the best you know, one door shut and the other one open. And it was, uh, I write another chapter of my own story. What, what was his, tra- I'm curious because I had the pleasure of covering him later in his career when he joined the Mets and saw him, of course, uh, from the other dugout, if you will, when he pitched for the Atlanta Braves. But what a great guy and what a tremendous athlete. I don't think there's any sport he couldn't have picked up. He just was one of those guys. But 
you know, he was off speed, right? He, he was smart on the mound. He, he had great tools, but not dominant, if you will, tools. He wasn't going to throw a hundred mile an hour fastball by you, but he was going to outthink you. Was he similar on the ice as well? Was he more, say, smarter than skilled, if you know what I'm saying? No, he had a, he had a great combo of both. Um, but growing up, we were, we were two years apart, so we never actually played youth hockey together because every time I moved up, he moved up. And, um, but you, you, you watched him, like I said, on those Friday nights uh, in middle school when he was a freshman and a sophomore. Um, went to those games to watch a very, very smart hockey player, positionally. Uh, he, was, he had good size back then, could skate, real good skill, but he really thought the game well. You know, he really thought the game, he, 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 his vision, uh, the way he moved the puck up the ice, and he could finish. You know, he was, uh, you know, he played with some elite hockey players that played in the National Hockey League during his junior and senior year in, in like, uh, all-star type games. Um, and he was one of the top players on those teams. And those teams had Kevin Stevens. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Steve Jensen. Tony Barrasso was on that team. Um, but they had a hell of an all-star team. Of, of players and Tom Glavin was one of the better players on that team back then. As you guys are talking baseball players, I this is like so over my head growing up in Canada. It's like all way over my Larry head. Walker, Ferguson that Jenkins. That I do know. Come on. <laughs> that, yeah. I, that I do know. But you know, Fitzy, you talk about like all the different sports that were available to you. What was your next best sport and maybe one that you loved almost equally as hockey or maybe there wasn't I, I love baseball I, I really enjoy playing the game I like the thinking part of it uh, I like the you know the individualism of it too it's just you and a pitcher bat ball gets hit to it's just you um, I, I really enjoyed that I, the thinking part of it you know I try to I try to relate hockey to that because of how many systems are now put in place um, like baseball, you get you get a chance to to think about okay, when well, neutrals are winning this face off, they just we're going to run this play. As in baseball, it's you playing whether second base, shortstop, or third. Ball gets hit to me. What's the situation? Uh, guy on second, looking back, back to first base, uh, out in the outfield. You know where's the cutoff? Making sure you hit your cutoff. You know learning that instead of trying to gun a guy down um, and throwing the ball in the, the, the stands. Um, there's a there's a lot of thinking that goes on in the game. Um, it's a slower pace, but it's, it's like, you know, you, it's, it's, it's really more of a chess match to me. And I, and I kind of relate that to hockey away. It's a, a very fast action game. It does slow down. You get to regroup, you get to take a breath and you get to say, okay, let's run a play offensively or defensively, how we get in this puck out. So um, a lot of similarities. Um, I, I really enjoyed playing football too uh, in my youth, but then that stopped. My dad was actually my football coach, but wouldn't let me play football because it conflicted with hockey. And then I got into high school and wanted to play football on the varsity team. And I just accepted a scholarship to Providence college. And he's like, you're not playing football. I don't have the money to send you to college. If you get hurt. So, what, what position in football? I played running back. Okay. You know, I played running back. Yeah. I, uh, I just loved running with the ball and, um, it was fun. It was a very short time in my life. I think I played for three years, but it, it was, it was fun. You know, like, I mean, we, you know, back, you, you played out in the yard, you played with friends, you played, you didn't play tag football, you played tackle football, you played, you played road hockey or street hockey in, in the States. Uh, you played wiffle ball, you played in, on, on cul-de-sacs with the tennis ball, baseball. Like it, it just, you just were constantly active. And then mom would say, just get home before the, the streetlights go out for dinner. And, and you did. I mean, no one worried about you. It's a cell different world. Were, yeah, yeah. No cell phones. So, um, but anyways, no, I, like I said, I, I had a wonderful childhood. Um, great memories in a great town. Uh, made a lot of great friends who are still my, my best friends. So. The family is obviously very important to you. You always speak of it and you've, you've mentioned it here. Your father and his sister, uh, mm -hmm. So that makes Keith, uh, 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 Keith Kachuk is your cousin. She married a Kachuk. Uh, yeah. And so you're first cousins. And, uh, and then you're also related to the Hayes family, Jimmy mm -hmm. and Kevin. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So, correct. so 
there's some stories there. I mean, wow. I mean, there had to be a lot of good stuff on the ice. I mean, those two guys, the Hazes are younger, but my goodness. Uh, yeah. I, I know the family's proud. You know, Keith and I gave them something to do you know, <laughs> on certain nights, especially when we played against each other. But we're, we're very, you said it, and I'll reiterate it, like not just, in, it's not my own family, but the extended family is very tight because it wasn't very big. My dad had one sister, um, Keith's mom, Jerry, and they they had each other. Their parents passed away young. I, I'm the oldest cousin of the two families, and I want to say I was 11 or 12 when my grandfather died. So they just had each other, uh, um, which made us really, really close family. To be, actually, we're so close. We're going we'll, every year. We go away. We rent a, a 25. Uh, a place we rent sleeps 25 and the Kachuk family and the Fitzgeralds all go up together and we start Saturday. Um, so we're very close on the, on my mom's side, she's a McNeil and Kevin and Jimmy Hayes, mom is Sheila McNeil, who you guys probably met on the mom's trip. Yep. And, uh, so, so my mom's brother, uh, my mom's eldest brother is, is Sheila's mom, which is Jimmy and Kevin's grandfather. So, I want to know about that uh, the Kachuk uh, weekends or those gatherings that you guys. There must be some good stories from that. <laughs> yeah, we got some good stories. Like here, I, I, obviously the, the the older boys won't be there. I don't think Keith's coming up this year. I think he may be back in St. Louis. Um, but we do have, you know, what we had a lot of fun. Very small family, and you know, the Fitzgeralds are the common denominator between the Kachuks and the Hayes. But like I said, we're so close. Uh, both sides, like we do, we, we do family gatherings together all the time and um, very, very tight knit. I read a story that your dad called you uh, when Keith was going to be on the 92 Olympics or was a candidate for that team. And you were like, for hockey? Like, because, because <laughs> what? Uh, maybe. And I'm I, I'm not looking for dirty tales here. Just that, you know, maybe he wasn't in pro shape, or what was the reason that that little jab kind of funny thing happened? You know, uh, I knew Keith was a good hockey player, but when you're a pro hockey player yourself, you don't think anybody you know would be better than you, or as good as you, or maybe. <laughs> um, and then he got drafted in the first round, and it was he got drafted uh, by a gentleman named Joe Unetti, who worked for the Winnipeg Jets, who in turn coached Keith because um, Joe's son was the same age in youth hockey growing up. Um, Keith only played a, a handful of games that year because he broke his ankle uh, in another sport, so he was out the whole year. And they, the, the Jets took a chance. And I remember, I remember getting drafted. I was very proud very like wow how good is he and then and then I have to go pick him up in in his at his home that summer and drag him over to Boston University where I worked out uh, with a guy named Mike Boyle and Keith was going to BU in entering his freshman year so he was allowed to go and work out there uh, with his group and he was so big like he Keith Chuck's uh, routine was he'd get on the, the stationary bike for half an hour minimal um, workout, get back on, and he'd hold me up a lot of times because I, I was his ride. Um, but it was later on that, that, that year, or maybe it was that summer, uh, it was definitely after his freshman year, we had a, a huge freshman year playing with Sean McKechnie and Tony Monty. Um, I knew he went to try out for the Olympics. He's going to try out for the Olympics or whatever. He's, he's whatever. But then my dad says, I think he's going to make the Olympic team. And I was like, the U.S. Olympic team? Like, are you serious? <laughs> wow. That's when I realized how good Keith Kachuk was going to be. That was the moment. And I just thought, whoa, my little cousin is probably going to be way better than me. <laughs> anyway, was. His kids aren't too bad either. Oh, it's amazing. 
That's amazing. What what a gene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, well, what a gene. The, the Kachuk gene. Well, and listen, uh, your boys are all players too, uh, yeah. four kids, and uh, uh, two are playing on the pro side and uh, hoping to have solid NHL beyond that maybe uh, career. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there's some athleticism there. Was your dad an athlete or your mom an athlete? My dad told me he was an athlete. My mom said he wasn't an athlete. No, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, he, I think my dad was. You know, like you were limited in, in, in opportunity back then. Um, but he was, a, he was a, a big sports fan, you know, and, and that's what, like I said, that's what got us into skating. Like he tells a story all the time. He took my brother and I to uh, first public skate and uh, I think it cost a dollar. So this might have been 50 cents, cost him a dollar for both of us. Um, and I was right off after a couple of laps. My feet were cold. He's like, you're going back out. I paid 50 cents. We're going to get our money's worth there. So get out there. <laughs> but he was just, he was a big athlete. I mean, a big, big sports fan. You were talking about how, like, if you were lucky, you got to see maybe one or two professional games at some point when you were growing up. Do you remember seeing your first NHL game? Yeah, well, I don't recall seeing my first game. Okay, your first memory then of seeing an NHL game. My first memory was after the game, leaving the arena and waiting around for autographs. And my dad noticed the bus from the opposing team, which was the Buffalo Sabres, and he dragged me right away from the crowd because there were people on the bus. And he knocked on the door and the bus driver opened up and he walked right on holding my hand. And it was the Buffalo Sabres bus. And there was two players on the bus. And one was the goalie. And I forget his name. It might have been Donnie Edwards. He wasn't very nice at that time. <laughs> uh, so my dad would call. But I remember him standing on the bus. And, and, you know, whatever he said, we got off the bus. And this young kid came down the, the aisle and uh, came out and, and – and patted me on the head and shook my hand. And it was, uh, it was that young star. Uh, uh, oh, my God. I'm losing my train of thought. I was thinking of Edward's name. But it was uh, Gilbert Perrault. Gilbert, okay. Wow. So Gilbert Perrault came out and, and said hello. And, and, and like I said, I don't remember the game, but I remember that. That's pretty cool. That's very ballsy of your dad. That would definitely not happen these days. <laughs> oh, God, no. He'd be in handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully they're still players, and, and that's the beauty of hockey, that's that we'll true, come yeah. down and off the bus and say something. But you're right, getting on the bus might <laughs> might, might have been a different story. Well, we you are probably certainly deserve in- what said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tommy, as you mentioned, you got drafted by the Islanders a few years after uh, you play for them. You wind up being exposed in the draft, the expansion draft, and the Florida Panthers select you. And I'm sure there was some disappointment, like, Really, this is the team that drafted me. Now I'm going to an expansion team. And lo and behold, in 1996, you go to the Stanley Cup final. So what an amazing transformation uh, that was uh, as, as you get that close to winning a cup, which you did as an assistant coach in 2009 with Pittsburgh. My point is Lindy Roth was an assistant coach there. Uh, there's so much we could talk about. I'm going to get to the rats, I think, at some point. But <laughs> like, what do you remember much about the relationship that you had with an assistant coach who was really just starting his career uh, at that point, or, you know, you were just focused yeah. on playing. He was focused on coaching. Well, first off, I was disappointed uh, that I got taken an expansion draft because that was the year the Islanders, we upset Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. lost to Montreal in 93 and the uh, and Montreal went on winning the Stanley cup. We lost them in the, the, the Eastern conference final. So, yeah, I was, I was disappointed because I was part of a resurgence there in New York and felt a big part of that. And, you know, the year before was, hey, Tampa had a good expansion run, um, but that fizzled a bit. And then you had Ottawa. Um, and I just thought expansion. Like, I just got to a team that got into the playoffs and you felt part of it. So there was some disappointment there. But like everything else in life, when one door closes, another one opens up and opportunity happens. And, and the team that they put together down there was a very special group of, of, of individuals. And it was designed that way, you know, from Bobby Clark being the general manager and Roger Nielsen being the coach. And, and my old general manager who drafted me in New York, Bill Torrey, was the president of the hockey team. So it had amazing people running, running the ship. So you knew, you knew we were going to be competitive. And to that point, I remember the first meeting down at Doral Country Club 
was our opening meeting in <laughs> down in Miami. I was like, wow, not Long Island anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, Toto, Toto, but, we have changed locations. <laughs> and Bobby Clark, he came right out and just said, like, we will not be a doormat for the rest of the league. And if you think this is going to be an expansion, typical expansion, and he used some explicit words, get out. I don't want you. And he set the tone right away on what we we're going to be. Um, yeah, there was a young, a young coach, uh, assistant coach that just uh, finished playing, jumped right in the coaches. Lindy Ruff was his name and um, still acted like an ex-player. I mean, acted like a player. Um, very, a lot of, uh, you know, pranks. Lindy was a big oh. prankster. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a great card player. And he'd come back and play cards with the guys, take all their money, and go back <laughs> up to the front of the plane <laughs> with the coaches. He took Bill Lindsay's money so often, it really affected the way he played. And Roger Nelson had to tell Lindy, you can't play cards anymore with those guys. <laughs> you just, you can't do it. But, uh, no, I had, a, I had a great relationship. Everybody on that team had a great relationship with Lindy. Like, I, I don't know anybody who's got a bad word to say about Lindy Ruff. You know, he's such a great person. Um, he was a very young coach at the time. We had him for four years. And then Poofy went off and took over the Buffalo Sabres. Um, never looked back. 16 years later, uh, he was done. And to, to, to coach in the National Hockey for 19 years, it says a lot about somebody. Uh, says a lot about somebody who's evolved as the game evolved during that time. Um, and I think that's where you see some of these guys like, like Lindy and Barry Trotz have so much success. Uh, for so long because they've evolved. Uh, the way the game changes, the way the, the personnel, Lindy told you uh, or has said how often, you know, players have changed and different, um, what they're looking for, reasons, why would I do that? They, they, need, a, they need an answer. Um, so to be able to adapt, I think, is, is part of the success, uh, is, is, part of the, is a big part of any coach's success, and, and, and Lindy has done that. So, um, no, we this and I've said this over again. This had nothing to do with a relationship I had twenty plus years ago. It had zero to do with it. Um, it was just more of how I felt he, you know, what he could offer to this young team and how he could act as a mentor and a, a, a father figure with the knowledge that he has and and push this group to its to its limit to to be its best. And then on the flip side, be somebody that I could. I could create a partnership with that sees the game the way I see it. Um, personnel moves, uh, you name it, but somebody I could partner with. And, and even to this I mean, that announcement was last week, I still get goosebumps thinking about what, what lies ahead for the organization with Lindy at the helm. I want to get back to Lindy of 20 some odd years ago and perhaps what one of those pranks may have been. Can you divulge at least maybe one for us that he, he pulled on the group or something like that? I, I can't remember, to be honest with you, but you always went to him if something was pulled. Skate laces cut, you know, shaving cream in your shoe, you know, you name it. It was always, you went to him first and, <laughs> uh, and he'd laugh and just say, it wasn't me. <laughs> you, 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 just, you, you couldn't trust him. <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're talking about your past and you talk about just the influence that you hope that Lindy can have on, you know, this current New Jersey Devils group. And I remember last week when you and I were talking, you really honed in on um, your relationship or how foundational uh, Al Arbor was to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about that relationship that you had with Al and why he was so, you know, just instrumental in the time that you were with him? Well, again, it was a different game back then. Um, we, we as kids were different than the kids are now. Um, discipline, accountability is a, was a huge factor there. Um, the one thing that Al Arbor mentioned to me when I was deciding to come, come, when I decided to come out of school, he was in the development department of our organization. He, he retired as a coach. I just got drafted and uh, was a year plus at uh, Providence College. And, and I decided that I think I want to leave school. So we had a big uh, shindig in, in the north end of Boston with my agent, my dad, um, Al Arbor and Bill Torrey came up to talk about me leaving. And I remember the one thing Al said to me, I know this looks exciting, 
but there will be some negatives. How will you handle those negatives? How would you handle them mentally? Because playing the physical part of it, it's a very small part of it. The mental part of it is so big. And if you can't handle it mentally, then the physical part doesn't matter. And he, we talked about being scratched and, you know, oh, why would I be scratched? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, fast forward, you know, I was, I was that guy that uh, I was scratched a lot, you know, up to 40, 40 games one year. Wow. 25 games in the next year. Um, he'd walk right by you in the hallway, wouldn't even say hello. But when I, when I was in the lineup, I was, Fitzy boy, how are you, bud? Good to see you. And when I wasn't, it was just like, I was like, oh, I got the blinder, right? Yeah, when I got the plague or something. Like, he just didn't even say anything. Um, he was a, a master at, at getting the best out of players because he – he put them through torture mentally at times. But when during a game, when things got down, you were mentally prepared uh, to be at your best. Um, so to, to look at the, the record books and see Lindy Ruff right behind my old bench boss, uh, I think it says a lot about, I know it says a lot about Lindy Ruff and, and where he's at in the coaching history. Do you have any good rat stories from Miami Arena? That was a wonderful story, and but it got old quick. Us players <laughs> like, all right, enough, enough. You score a goal, you're up two nothing. Here come the rats again. Oh, I mean, then, rats going in your locker room, like where you had, a, like, did you oh, have to that fight? A, no, the had you had? Did you have to fight a couple off? I, I personally didn't. I, I saw that. I just saw that one rat that came in. You got to remember that was a makeshift locker room we had for five straight years, and uh, I mean, it was all plywood. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what it was. And you had the rats running around the, the arena that you did see. Um, but this one, this one made it in the locker room, but he didn't make it out. <laughs> it's very funny, though, that, like, you have enough rat stories from around the league that you weren't really sure which, which one, Maddie. Yeah, I thought about the rubber rats. <laughs> so yeah. did I. <laughs> well, I think, well, when that became a thing, it was, uh, you know, annoying. It was, it was the Panthers fans thing, but, thing, yeah. yeah. It, it did slow things down. But, you know, for those who are not aware that, you know, uh, the rat that did not make it out of the dressing room became, I won't say a rallying cry, but became a part of lore and history for the it Florida was. Panthers. Yeah. And it was the year of the rat, Chinese New Year, you know. So made it, made it pretty special. So the, star, the stars were aligned. Uh, I, I said earlier I wanted to ask you a question about 2009 when Pittsburgh won the Stanley Cup. You were an assistant coach. Uh, if I read this correctly, uh, the game's over. You won it in Detroit. Plane flies back to Pittsburgh. Mario Lemieux says, hey, I got a party at my house. But you did not go. You wanted to spend time with the family. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I uh, – well, I'll go back to February that year. And, and, and Ray Shero was, decided to make a change in the coaching staff. It was February 9th to be exact when he asked me and um, went back, told my family what was asked and my boys were young and, and they were all excited. And I said, but with this comes, I won't be home. I won't be home for a while. And two of them were okay with it. I had the, the, the my youngest was only, geez, he was only about five at the time. Um, and then my th second son, Casey, he was like, no, I don't want you to leave. And he was crying, not crying, but ready to cry. And he didn't understand it until I said, well, you come visit and you can skate on the ice with Malcolm and Crosby. And he was, he was, he was sold <laughs> right then there. So that, that, that went over well, but, but they came out once probably three weeks later. And I think I made it home once for a couple of days cause we had off. And then we got into the heart of the end of the season and then the playoffs. And I, I, I believe it was about 40 something days. I did not see them um, until I saw them on, on the ice lifting the Stanley cup with me. So they were charted in with all the other family members on a separate plane, of course. And then when we got back, I, I just didn't feel, I didn't feel like going to Mario's house. I didn't feel like saying a quick hello to my kids and going out and partying. Um, I just, I just want to go home and, and be with them. And uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't regret it at all because the next morning we, we all get up and Dan Bowser came wandering in from Mario's party as we were having breakfast and we had the cup all morning. 
at the hotel, my, just me, my family, my mom, my dad, my wife, my four boys, and it was just us. And we had it all after, we had it right up to the early afternoon until Bill Guerin texts me and says, do you have the cup? And I said, I do. And he's like, well, I'm coming to get it because we're, we're bringing it out to lunch with the guys. I'm like, please come and get it. It was just awesome having it by ourselves. It was great. So, hey, it all worked out. I, I, I skipped out of Mario's house, but I got the cup all morning right up to midday and uh, on the next day with my family. What was that night like with your family when, you know, everyone else is out partying? I mean, like, I'm trying to imagine, do you go back to the hotel, just put your feet? Like, what, what was that like? When you sort of are away from the rink now, you're with your whole family, and you've well, just realized this huge dream. You got to remember, it was late. Yeah. It was, it was probably yeah. two, 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. Um, I, I don't even think the bars were open. Um, maybe the hotel bar was. My wife and I and my mom and dad went down and had a, a quick drink because they allowed me to have one or, one or seven. And then, and then um, I had an early morning with my youngest son who was up early. And we actually went across the street to the Mellon Arena from the Marriott Hotel to buy some paraphernalia, some, uh, some things. And lo and behold, uh, Getty Malkin was there too that early buying stuff. So it was, uh, no, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So no, just great memories uh, that I'll never forget. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you, and Amanda, if you have others, please chime in. I'm sorry if I, <coughs> I stepped on your toes there. Uh, that, that story about uh, not going home after the cup was won and sharing it with your family came from an interview uh, done with you and two of your sons in Players' Tribune. Also in that, Casey said, you got to see Dad's playlist in terms of music. So what is on top? Now that was then, that was a several, that was several, several years ago. Uh, but what is on Tom Fitzgerald's playlist? It's a very easy answer. Everything, you name it, it's on there. I've got eighties. I've got disco. I've got country. I've got hard rock. I've got acid rock. I've got pop music. You name it. I've got it. I've got it. There's not one thing that you can name. It's not on my, my playlist or there, in my, my, my library. It, so best concert that you've gone to? It sounds like you're a music guy. Um, I really enjoyed the, uh, the U2 concert uh, just recently down at the, the Prudential Center. Uh, and I really enjoyed the Eagles probably more. I really enjoyed the Eagles concert because uh, I know Vince Gill pretty well, uh, hung out with him prior and just listening to him sing with that that great band was 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 awesome i'm um, going back to your playing days I, i'm always curious about this as someone who's canadian and has obviously now been with the devils for a couple of years i covered the montreal canadians how different is it being a player in a canadian market i mean you played for toronto so what is like a fundamental difference if at all well, there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot uh, versus my time in uh, New York versus mm -hmm. my time in Florida. And then, um, you know, Nashville was a little different because I was the captain. And, yeah. you know, we were the only major sport. Uh, we our second major sport. The Titans were there as well. But, um, you know, when they promoted the team and there was a face, it was me being the captain. Um, so I did get recognized there uh, a little bit more than the other two spots. But then you go to Toronto, and it's a different beast. It really is. It's, I told my friends back there in Boston, I said, playing for the Maple Leafs is like playing for the Boston Red Sox. Like, you, you can't go down the street without somebody yeah. saying hello or making a comment. And, and they said it to me, and I was just a little guy. I couldn't imagine being Ed Belfour, Matt Sundin, or McGillney, or Ty Domi. You know, like, I just couldn't imagine. You know, everybody had a comment about the power play. And, you know, it was like the old slap show. Yeah, yeah, we're working on it. But that's how it was, you know. Everybody, everybody was an expert. I had one, one buddy after we lost to Philadelphia. I want to say it was the 0203 season. Um, next morning, I opened the door. He knocked on. He said, I got a carton of eggs here for you. And I said, oh, we don't need eggs. We got plenty of eggs. Well, you either throw them on your house or I'm going to throw them on your house because I'm so mad that you guys lost. But it was a joke. But <laughs> yeah. that's how 
that's how passionate they are. You know, um, it was a wonderful place to play. I feel extremely fortunate to do three things in my life playing. Um, one, playing for your home team where I ended my career was a very special moment. Two, if anyone, if you could ever play in South Florida and be able to go to work in flip-flops and shorts uh, and maybe the beach or golf on off days, that was pretty special too. Um, and the last one is, is, is playing in a, an original six city. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So you talk about all these, or we have talked about all these places that you've played. Um, before we started recording the podcast, you gave us a bit of a tour of the room you're in, and you've got all kinds of memorabilia. I mean, is that something you collected right from the beginning when it came to your playing career, or when did you start sort of putting those things up and around? Well, you know, I've got... So I got three of my team's framed jerseys up here. Um, I've got uh, I've got a Bobby Orr picture right here signed to my to my family, uh, to 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 the Fitzy boys. Um, and I've got a boat. I've only got six sticks up here. Uh, one being mine. One being signed by the Stanley Cup 2019. Uh, Gretzky, Bork, Crosby, Chelios, and I have a a seller full of other sticks the sticks are the things that i collected um and i started to do that i think i started in nashville because frosty helped me really to to collect yeah um I, I have everybody's stick except one person and one person that i need to get and he knows this is my 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 old boss my old owner in pittsburgh um it's the only stick i don't i don't have i don't have mario's stick and i i I'm, I'm going to get it one of these days. I'm, I'm going to get one from him. I'm going to slip like a, a note to Frosty, who is our head equipment manager, when we ever start traveling again, just to, you know, <laughs> you know, he does. And it's funny because he still does that to this day. Like, he's so thoughtful and you always see him, you know, coming with some sort of memorabilia for someone. Well, I, I have a couple things in my office. One, uh, Wayne Gretzky and I standing next to each other after a whistle. And Frosty got it signed for me from Wayne. And I happened to find another one, me taking a face off against Wayne. It's sitting on my desk at, at my home. And I text him. I said, hey, any way I can get this signed? <laughs> I said, this has been pretty special. Let's get on this. Yeah. <laughs> but he will. He won't forget. Oh, yeah, he he will. forget. He'll, he'll get it done for me. That's the kind of person <laughs> Chris Copetto is. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned his name because I was going to identify him beyond Frosty. We know him as Frosty. Everybody <laughs> yeah. in hockey knows him as Frosty, but anyone listening should know that it He's is incredible, Chris though. E like, Matt, you're right. Everybody knows who Frosty is. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's the best. He's the best in the league. Well, yeah. and, and, we'll go, and we'll go back to the Kachuk family because is he not godfather to one of the yes. kids? Matthew, yeah, maybe? He, no, 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 no. Taryn, the, the youngest. He's the okay. father of Taryn. Um, they go way back to the Phoenix days. And yeah. Keith gave Chris the nickname Frosty. And the reason why he gave him the nickname Frosty was because growing up in the Boston area, we were huge Bruins fans, like I told you. And you not only knew all the players, you knew the trainers, you knew the coaches. And Frosty Frostival, I think was his last name, Forrestal, uh, uh, was the head equipment guy, and they called him Frosty. So he started calling Chris Frosty, and it stuck. That's it. <laughs> that's, it. Oh, that's, yeah. it. that's a wonderful story, and I, I didn't know its origins, but, yeah, he is a great guy and part of the Devil's family that you have spoken about, uh, not only your personal family, Tom, but the hockey family and how important it is to you. And, my goodness, we spent, what, 45 minutes or more, and there's probably another hour and a half we could spend, but – uh, I think we touched upon a lot of things. I know Devils fans are probably listening. What's the plan? We want to know the plan. We wanted to know about Tom Fitzgerald, uh, the man. And uh, I think we found out a lot about him. We know the plan. You've spoken about that on other forums. So we want to see another side of Tom Fitzgerald. Well, thank you. Fitzy, we always, or I, we always end our conversations with either current or former hockey players with one very specific question. So here it is. When you were traveling like with your team as a player and you're sitting on the plane, what did you do to keep yourself occupied? Because we've had all like a whole range of different answers of what guys do. Well, early on, 
yep. in my career, we we flew we flew commercial. Oh, so wow. you, were, you were bounced around all the time. All you try to do is make sure your tie wasn't cut, uh, that somebody come by and cut your tie. Uh, then when you started flying uh, charter, um, especially in Florida and in, in Nashville, I would play, I'd play cards with uh, a group of guys. I told you Lindy was one of them at, at, at different points. Um, but you weren't playing for big money. Yeah. You know, it was very, very small money. Then you get to Toronto and <laughs> – and then, and you're just like, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm, I don't have the, uh, I'm not in that, 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 <laughs> that group. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to learn, I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself. I'm actually just going to start uh, reading, reading books. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but played a lot of cards, listened to a lot of music, um, and, and did a lot of reading as well. All right, Fitzy, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we're excited about working with you uh, with the New Jersey Devils, and uh, we think it's going to be a great relationship in terms of wins on the ice. Everything is pointing in the right direction. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Tom Fitzgerald joining us. And uh, Amanda, there's a lot more we could have asked because uh, when you've been in the game as long as Fitzy has and has had the success that he has had, there is a lot that you can get to, uh, including that time in Nashville when you get to meet Vince Gill, among others. So uh, we learned an awful lot today, didn't we? We absolutely did. And I think, you know, when it comes to Fitzy and the things that he said, particularly at the beginning of our podcast, um, he really does make everybody feel like, you know, you're part of this devil's family. And I'm not just, you know, paying lip service. This is really just you know, something that since I've joined, and obviously you've been around longer, uh, Maddie, it, it is a real fundamental thing that sort of is a thread that carries through to everybody, um, whether it was ratio before him and now, and now Fitzy, those are fundamentally really important pieces. And, and it just, you know, everyone's pulling in the same direction. And it's so great to, you know, see Fitzy in that role now. No doubt. And makes me even more anxious for us to get started because so many good pieces are in place. Well, that'll wrap things up. Amanda, as always, good to spend time with you. Lots of fun today. Absolutely. Good to spend time with you too, Maddie. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us. We appreciate your company. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.